Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Before we get started, I want to thank Credible.com for sponsoring today's show. It's an online marketplace for student loan refinancing. Using their simple platform, it takes less than two minutes to find out if you're overpaying on your student loans. You could save thousands by refinancing with them. In fact, the average user who refinances through them saves almost $19,000 over the life of their loan. It's really easy to get started with them. Go to Credible.com slash Capspace. Easy to remember that URL. We talk about Capspace all the time in the program. Answer a few questions, and right away, you'll get real rates. Not ranges of rates, but real rates for multiple lenders. Checking your rates will not affect your credit scores. You really have nothing to lose. For a limited time, my listeners will get a $200 welcome bonus when refinancing through that Credible.com slash Capspace URL. That's Credible.com slash Capspace. Use that slash Capspace URL. Let them know that you came from us and get that $200 welcome bonus. Well, it's been an interesting day in the NBA, to say the least. We're going to get to talking about the rest of the young players in the Central Division. Uh, We're not going to talk about it, but Trey Burke had 42 points today and Minnesota blew a lead and lost at home to Memphis but I think we have to start with the totally unexpected return of Marco Fultz I for one had thought it was very unlikely that he would return this season with so little time remaining and the fashion by which it happened was so interesting where basically shortly before the game Brett Brown said that Fultz was going to play those of us who happened to be around were very very excited about it and that was a significant part of of the game against Denver which Philadelphia ended up winning 123 to 104 and we should definitely talk about it but I mean this was a game that mattered a lot for both teams Denver's trying to claw their way back into the west after losing some disappointing games they have a brutal closing schedule against these teams that are still competing and the Sixers are doing their best to try to maximize position they don't know if that's going to affect their first round opponent but certainly getting the third seed would help in terms of a prospective second round opponent so yeah I haven't thought about that that if the Sixers get the three seed they would be the favorites probably to get to the Eastern Conference Finals wow that's that's pretty insane very oklahoma city 2011 there although even oklahoma city had made the the conference finals or i'm sorry had made the playoffs the year before and given the eventual champion lakers a, a good run but all right but back to Fultz here let's just start with the good the explosion was there the moves were there he was able to create the separation that distinctive bounce out of the dribble that he kind of has as he just saunters along uh was there he was uh, able to beat guys and get to the rim or create space uh, for even his limited jump shot uh he ran the offense well to the tune of eight assists it wasn't necessarily him driving and setting up others but he ran the ran the offense found guys when they came open within the flow of the offense looked solid pushing the ball in transition even had a, a pretty spectacular block of jamal murray that's something we saw from him in college was those chase down blocks off of one foot um so it's good to see him aggressive out there it's good to see him playing the way that we're used to seeing him play with 
the ball in his hands. Uh, what were your uh, initial thoughts? The most important elements to me were his physical ability. I mean, he was creating separation when he needed to. He was, his handle seemed fine and aggressiveness taking the shot. You know, it didn't necessarily go in all of the time. He had also had some rustiness Ooh, yeah. in terms of like the first play he was in. He basically ran into Mason Plumley and turned the ball over. And there were a few plays like that where I think he just wasn't used to how quickly NBA athletes can get out to you. Like there was another one where Plumley, I think he def- Plumley deflected a pass that Fultz just didn't think he was going to get there for it. And those sorts of plays are going to happen. Fultz had only played in, I believe it was five games before this. And, you know, even in summer, summer league was limited because I think that was a turned ankle. I mean, we were lucky enough that we got to see him in person in Utah. And that was pretty much all she wrote for him in summer league. So lots of adjustments there, but the physical tools in terms of handle, you know, a little bit of the vertical stuff, they weren't fully present, but they were more present than I remembered from the regular season and closer to what I remember from summer league. Now, there was no reason to think that those would have gone anywhere. And even when his abortive stint in October, he was able to display that. I thought he looked a little bit more explosive than he did back then. Uh, But... The jump shot is clearly not even close to there. Improvements have been made. Obviously, they have been, or he wouldn't be out there. He was able to hit a couple of jump shots off the dribble after creating a ton of separation off a switch on Mason Plumley. But not even the first thought of taking a jump shot outside of around 15, 16 feet. The, the ones that he did take, not as smooth, release, still kind of more out in front of his face, lower, a little bit of a hitch in. I mean, the first one he took, I mean, it was at first reminiscent of some of the great step backs that he would make at Washington, where he actually created space against the big and then ended up airballing it when he kind of, you know, stepped back. And you can tell there's just, it's very mechanical right now. He's got to sort of plan out when he's going to take the jump shot. It, it's, it doesn't just happen for him. I think that's part of why, too, of what, how he just had some of these shots just get blocked back in his face as well because he just is sort of like it's not instinctive for him at all and the step back looked great he creates the separation and then there's this hitch before he shoots it his legs aren't together he can't get any elevation air balls it way short um and given the way his form is i think it was impressive he was able to hit the couple of jumpers that he was uh but while he's made some progress it's worth remembering that this is over you know he's basically been working on this since he came into camp in september and if this is all the progress that we've seen you have to question maybe he'll get back to where he was before maybe he'll just get to be like semi-passable on long twos maybe he doesn't get out to three uh i still haven't seen enough to say that i don't think this is going to eventually still affect his ceiling as a player he could get past it but and this is an encouraging step but i still think this is something that's going to be an issue for quite some time if not his entire career based on seeing tonight based on seeing all the footage of him shooting which is a shame because he's so good and so explosive and has so many moves if he can just get that jump shot to where it used to be i did think that some of the eight assists i mean he he did do a good job passing the ball but some of them were a little bit charitable granted that's also some of my criticism with the way assists are given out generally now like there was one where fultz passed the ball to reddick reddick i think he pump faked dribbled like twice to his right and then shot it i think it was only one dribble but i I, yeah i I feel what you're saying i mean it's a lot of them were rondo assists they weren't i'm gonna drive draw the defense or i'm gonna throw a great pass that no one else could see um 
Yeah. But he can throw great passes. I mean, we just he, he did have one. He, it it didn't game. result in assists, but a, a really nice behind the back out of a pick and pop to Embiid. Oh, that's right. Uh, early on, that got the crowd ooing and eyeing, and, and Embiid rumbled in for a foul off of that. So that looked pretty good. True. So yeah, I, I think with Fultz, it was a reminder of some of the elements. But you're right that the jump shot is a required element for him becoming the player who you and I both felt was the clear cut number one best prospect in a class that is looking very good right now and of course that was only if the guys that we focused on but I, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have had like Donovan Mitchell over him if I had watched more Mitchell I'm pretty damn sure of that so I don't know exactly where to, where it goes from there it is very fortunate for the Sixers that Ben Simmons has delivered to the degree that he has because that takes a little bit of the onus off Fultz but certainly if he could become the player we thought he would be the Sixers could use that and so it's not like oh, oh you know n- no no harm no foul it's it's not that in, in the slightest but it is a mitigating factor on something that could be you know let's say the jump shot doesn't get to where we where we thought it would be then that would be catastrophic for a lot of other franchises but here if he if Fultz becomes more of like a backup point guard type of guy you know that's not not what you wanted but it's still potentially useful and that overstates it because some of the time Fultz played was garbage time but he was plus 16 and 14 minutes against a team that's going to be probably over 500 yeah although their bench has been off all year and and with oh yeah with and there was a big stretch involving that that we'll talk about yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we need to focus on the game too much because we, we have so much other stuff to get to today. But um, I mean, and for those of you who are saying, oh, you know, don't be so negative, blah, blah. It's uh, looking at him now, like you have to remember how awesome that jump shot really was. I mean, he was coming off a of screen for three at Washington. He was taking like step back threes, uh, you know, and Devin Harris was playing. I, I thought it was uh, instructed the last possession of the third quarter, although Fultz was probably supposed to run the play to Bellinelli on that one. But Devin Harris was just off him by 10 feet and Fultz had just zero thought of taking the jump shot unless he really got into going off the dribble from two point range I mean and so clearly not ready to take spot up threes yet I thought it was also telling that they subbed him in for Ben Simmons every time those two did not play a minute together and that's because Markel can only really operate with the ball in his hands right now because of the jump shot limitations and so maybe he could play some backup worker I thought it defensively looked fine uh you know it didn't see a ton of the effort issues that he had at Washington so that was encouraging and he's gonna have to not be quite as aggressive I mean 13 shots and whatever it was um like 14 minutes is a, a little much uh, but you know he's he's out there trying to get his rhythm he didn't hurt the team this time TJ McConnell played much less obviously with him out there uh but even McConnell is probably you know a better off-ball player than Fultz is at, at this point in time and, and certainly a better defender so I'm not sure that Fultz will, is actually really going to help this team in the playoffs we'll see but his game is just so weird all the stuff around him is so weird I'm glad that they're able to bring him back but I I think they still would be better served minimizing his role into the playoffs maybe he'll just get be so good that they have to keep him out there but I I think the fit is just going to be so weird uh but it's good for them to at least have him getting some NBA games under his belt and then you know at least there won't be so much attention on his summer league and starting next year I think it'll be good speaking of attention uh he was asked two questions in the post-game scrum this is first availability since the injury he was asked two questions in the post-game scrum about the shoulder injury and just literally didn't respond at all 
which which is actually kind of funny i think like some questions deserve that although this was these questions obviously were more legitimate considering the fact that there's been so much mystery around this yeah uh, it's a challenging issue and i sympathize for the for the reporters who were just doing their job and asking questions but i mean there maybe there needs to be a better enforced mechanism i don't don't well i mean you can't make you can't force a guy to answer a question if he doesn't want to answer i mean it would have been nice if he said hey you know i'm just uh now that i'm back i want to just focus on the team going forward and uh, you know i'm just here so i don't get fined Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, whatever he got prepped, I think he just kind of froze. I mean, he's he's uh, not very facile with the media right now, and obviously, all of this pressure, I'm sure, uh, has not uh, oh, made yeah. that easier. But it, it would have been, I'm sure, he was coached up to say something like that, and then just probably just forgot or something, and just was like, oh, I'm just gonna not say anything, which you know, that's fine. Um, yeah. So I, I know we're not gonna focus on it, but I had a couple of thoughts. Yeah, on no, the me game, too, me too. If you yeah, mind. What, what do you got? So uh, a couple of different things. So first of all, in the early part, especially, this was just a very sloppy Oof, yeah. game lots of weird weird turnovers i mean the one that will barton got so he got a turnover and got his second three and it was basically just a fumbling the ball in the backcourt without any pressure and barton's just like "Ooh, look at what i found and got the ball and got a three and then they ended up going up i think it was eight or nine nothing and yeah. then i think where the game turned philly played good defense at the beginning of this of the third quarter and that helped swing it but then nikola Jokic picked up his fourth foul late in the third quarter kind of around the time that Embiid was going out and that could have been a big advantage point for the Nuggets but without Embiid or sorry without Embiid and without Jokic the Nuggets just couldn't put up enough offense and they got worked in those minutes so it made it so much harder for them to even try to come back and they ended up getting blown out concluding in the fourth quarter I thought uh, the two biggest things that I took away from this the Nuggets transition defense was just pathetic Uh, and Ben Simmons despite the fact that I think he only had one point through three quarters was just pushing it down their throats and i mean there were probably 10 plays where you know there wasn't really any excuse for it being a transition play i mean there was one off of a made free throw for example uh but where simmons would just kind of push the ball up hard and then they would just get an open three uh many times uh, for dario Sharich and the nuggets just simply not knowing who they were guarding it and Sharich uh, had 20 points uh, it was either threes for him and there was a couple plays in the third quarter where uh he was able to cut down the lane as a late cutter in transition and just you know wasn't really being guarded and ben simmons found it with some incredible passes really just such an ugly nuggets defensive performance in the second half and they gave up 72 second half points as a result of that and the Sixers went 13 out of 29 from three, but there was really no rim protection as well. I thought that like Sharch had no problems finishing around the rim. He's usually kind of a limited finisher. Uh, Ilya Sovo was like getting buckets around the rim. I mean, he was five of eight and only took two three pointers. You know, usually Ilya Sova is just spotting up for threes. Bellinelli hit some twos as well, though a lot of those were tough jumpers. It was really bad. Well, and and Fultz got loose, I think, yeah. twice. There was one kind of on a cut, and then the, the his first points were on that kind of hand off from Embiid and there was no help nobody well, was there and the and effort level too there was one play I can't remember what the result of it ended up but there was like I think there was either a fast break or a turnover and the ball went into the corner Fultz is on the weak side with his hands up nobody's guarding him he then runs into the middle of the lane still nobody's guarding him and after like 10 seconds they throw it to him right in the middle of the lane and I think he either ended up scoring or, or getting fouled but it was like it was a three on two for like at least five seconds you know just nobody got back oh that was the one where Millsap kind of like 
bumped him and he threw threw it up it looked like it was a foul and then oh, charge right. tipped in but it was that was really bad and then my other big takeaway here was Joel Embiid in the start of the third quarter and we saw Rudy Gobert really cause problems for the Warriors at that game that we saw in person last night but Embiid just completely shut down the paint on the Nuggets in that 34 to 15 third quarter uh, and philly started that 20 to 5 and at least four layups in the first four minutes and b just stopped and you know if they get those four buckets instead of uh, getting blocked by Embiid or intimidated by Embiid uh, maybe it's, it ends up being a different game but I, I thought he was absolutely dominant at, at that point um what else you got yeah and that wasn't his only highlight oh no he who did he get oh he got Millsap he just obliterated Millsap, Millsap as Jamal Murray was trying to front him in the post and then Millsap tried to come over and help it and Millsap uh has not looked like the defensive force that we've seen not that he necessarily would have blocked Embiid before but there are a couple plays where you know one of those Sarich layups where Millsap just was late responding and just couldn't quite get up to block it it wasn't really some incredible finish from Sarich or anything like that um another ridiculous dunk in this game too is Jamal Murray just putting it on JJ Redick's head on a fast break I mean Redick just kind of was standing at the charge circle and Murray just rose over him for the dunk which was pretty nice and Murray had a great first half and then he was one of the guys who just couldn't finish at the rim uh, in the second half uh, in part due to Embiid's presence he got one blocked by Fultz uh, as well Murray finished the game also two for eight from three for a couple more of those while I, I you know I like him a lot of course and Murray partially because his primary reputation offensively is as a shooter i think he is underrated as an athlete i think you know he surprises in in a as a vertical athlete sort of like lonzo does every once in a while and jamal had a really nice chase down block on tj mcconnell as well yeah. there was this beautiful play i think it was at the end of the first quarter when the sixers got the ball with like three seconds left and they somehow passed at the half court kind of did a, a pass handoff variant to mcconnell and it would have produced an easy two points except that the only guy who figured it out was jamal murray he got back and caught McConnell for the ball. I liked what Ben Simmons did on this. This is a, a small note here, but Simmons and Beat was about to take it out with like four seconds left, and Simmons says, "No, I'm going to take it out. You run all the way down to the other end of the floor." Simmons throws this great pass all the way down three quarter court to Iosova, and then he hits McConnell on the run. It sounded like it seemed like they actually had like a set play there for that situation, which is impressive to just be able to run that off of a made basket. Um, and then the other thing. I thought was really impressive was end of the third quarter 50 seconds left Markel Fultz is about to push the ball in transition and Brett Brown yells at him like oh what is he doing and then I realized he was telling Fultz all right you're gonna slow down we're gonna slow down the offense we're gonna get the two for one so we shoot we don't shoot too early so we don't give them a chance for the two for one and they actually were able to manipulate uh, the possession game but good that Brown was thinking about that as early as 50 seconds remaining in the quarter I was impressed by that you know how I like these little things things but Simmons had 13 rebounds 11 assists and seven points it was his second double double of the year scoring fewer than 10 points and that doesn't happen particularly often it is the eighth time this season and Simmons now ties Draymond Green for the lead with two each I'm you might have either you saw my tweet but I want to see if you if you didn't if you can guess who has the most of those so that's
that's a double double, not including most points. most so in NBA history. Yes, one guy has twenty five. Nobody else has more than like. All right, eight. let me think of some candidates here. Uh, Rajon Rondo would be one. Um, he has oh, eight. He has eight. I think. Oh, so he has twenty five. Uh, Paul Pressy comes to mind. Maybe I. He was probably on the list, but he wasn't towards the top. I'll give you one. The one that surprised me. One of the guys with eight was Mark Eaton. I think he had a couple. Of oh blocks. yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, Bull had yeah. five, including blocks as well. Mark my Eaton is, of all time. is an extremely the number- underrated player. I mean, those Jazz defenses in the late '80s with him on them were were unbelievable. Um, but yeah, go ahead. But but the number one, Jason Kidd. Yeah. Okay, that was dumb. I should have thought of that. Yeah, Kidd, because I I always used to have this. Uh, I actually think of it where Jason Kidd had all these triple doubles where he didn't have more than twelve in any of the categories, which I always found so interesting. And then he also is the leader in, in that element, which could be which could be different. But a lot of times it goes in that direction. But I mean, another unusual piece to his legacy, and it makes sense that Draymond and Ben Simmons could kind of go in that mold. Last thing I want to talk about is how Paul Millsap looked on offense. We mentioned his defense. He was really a non-factor, I thought, defensively. But they're giving him the ball quite a bit. And he was able to get going towards the end of the third when they actually were playing him at center against a lineup that had Ilyasova and Sharich in, in the front court, which is right. I, Sixers watchers might know this better than me, but I don't think they run that very often either. Um, but maybe they felt like with Millsap at center, they needed a little more mobility. Uh, and, and he was able to get going just, you know, some of the same kind of crap that he does where he just gets a little bit of an advantage on the drive and then tries to like go up for like a floater from 14 feet with the guy on him and try to get the foul call you know pretty ugly basketball he had a couple of face-up jumpers but you know this is a, a denver team that's one of the best offenses in the nba paul Millsap, if he ever was a great iso guy i mean i know he had that 46 point game in the playoffs against atlanta in 20 or against boston in 2016 but overall scoring one-on-one has not really been a great part of his game and they just continue to feed him i, I think most of those plays are called and the other downside to that is that he's not spacing out and uh, dylan had a, a pretty good tweet on this uh, i think expounding and not consciously but uh, adding to i i should say something that we've been talking about with the bucks where it's like all right you know you maybe you can shoot the ball but if you're not standing at the three-point line, it doesn't really do any good. Dylan was saying, hey, would you rather have a 40% three-point shooter who stands at the elbow all the time? Or would you ever rather have a 30% three-point shooter who stands at the corner? And he says, you know, it doesn't help if you can space the floor if you're not actually standing at the three-point line. And so Millsap does very little of that. And it just seemed like there are a lot of plays where he was kind of getting in the way or they were trying to post him up and you know i'm not saying that that's his fault that he's not a team player you know i think a lot of it is just struggling to integrate him into the coaching but this nuggets offense that was humming so well before he returned has not looked the same since he's been back and i think you know he's not a good enough offensive player that you hijack the offense to throw him the ball in the post i think they need to try to just bring him in and and have him do some of the same stuff that Jokic has been doing but even then you know when when they're running Jokic picking rolls you know paul Millsap is standing in the dunker spot you know and when they're running Jokic pick and rolls in their normal offense you know they have a three-point shooter who's out in the corner i think that's really caused a lot of problems for their spacing especially when you've got a big center like joel Embiid who's able to gum things up for you at the rim as well yeah i i think was thinking back to that piece that zach Lowe wrote involving the kind of ghost defenders and all that kind of yeah. stuff and i was wondering if with second spectrum or something like that they can get into average position but there i'm sure there's data 
out there that the teams are getting that will be incredibly useful about where guys are positioned and how that affects the defenders. And it is a an element that can really help certain teams that aren't doing a good job. And the teams that are like Houston, you know, that they're, they're guys who could shoot are out there. It, it really does create meaningful space, especially when you consider in the NBA, A, how far out the three-point line is, and B, how long, especially big guys are, that if you're too close, it's so much easier for them to affect the play than if it's another, you know, three, four feet. Yeah, and I mean, that's the, the genius of D'Antoni, right, is you three guys, other than the guy setting the pick and roll and the guy with the ball in his hands, just stand the fuck out here. Every once in a while, you know, they'll run some elbow stuff, they'll run some set pieces, but generally, if a pick and roll is being run, everyone else is outside the three-point line, and in the case of some of their players now, way behind the three-point line, and there's a, a lot of times that that just doesn't happen with some of these other teams. Um, oh, I have one more yeah, thing yeah. I want to say. We'll get into this a little bit more in a near episode. We're going to do a clearer focus on the playoff picture, but this is one data point considering we just talked about this game that I want to mention. So all of Denver's games remaining the rest of the year are against still competitive teams. The next game that Philadelphia plays against anybody who is either in or competing for a playoff berth still is Friday, April 6th when they host the Cavs. I believe that is their the only remaining games. such game of the season. They have one more outside of that. They host Milwaukee on the last day of the year, and that game could not matter for one or both teams. We we genuinely don't know. So a huge advantage. We have seen Minnesota, Denver, that that doesn't always guarantee a team will win. You know, that, the, the, you know, not everybody beats all of their opponents. I should also throw in Washington there who blew that game against the Knicks. But if Philadelphia takes care of business, then that becomes a different thing. And it's a huge advantage. I mean, just the structure of the schedule, taking care of the wins as, as they come, but also some of it is good luck facing teams at the right time. Also worth noting, we have now officially lost one of our best bets, maybe both of our best bets, which was the Philly under at 42 and a half. I think it was uh, when we when we did it uh, at the beginning of the year. Don't worry, we will uh, engage in some self-flagellation about uh, those over-under picks uh, coming up soon when we review. Uh, I will be right back momentarily here. Before we get into the young prospects here and, and lots of interesting ones in the central division, I want to tell you about quip toothbrushes and if you haven't used an electric toothbrush in general before if you're still using a manual toothbrush i think you're really missing out it's something that totally changed my life my sister always refers to the feeling of having plaque on your teeth as sweater teeth and i realized once i started using electric toothbrush that i had sweater teeth i didn't realize it. my teeth just felt so much cleaner my gums were stimulated so much more easily uh and also i was actually brushing for the requisite amount of time due to the timer that they had it and then quip goes a level beyond normal electric toothbrushes it packs just the right amount of vibrations into a slimmer design at the fraction of the cost of traditional electric toothbrushes and that's really nice because it's basically the size of a normal toothbrush like some of these other ones when you throw in the charger the things like a brick it's very difficult to take it with you when you're traveling the quip toothbrush super easy it just has a triple a battery that lasts for three months and then if you're on their subscription pack they'll send you a new one along with the new brush head their subscription plan is just five dollars including free shipping worldwide by the way uh and this is why quip is backed by a network of over 10,000 dental professionals and was named one of time magazine's best inventions of the year starts just 25 dollars again fraction of the price of other electric toothbrushes if you go to getquip.com slash cap space right now you'll get your first refill pack free with a quip electric toothbrush that's getquip.com slash cap space g-e-t-q-u-i-p.com slash cap space let them know what that slash cap space url that you came from us all 
right, Danny, uh, now let, let's continue on with what we thought was going to be a one-part series. And in fact, it were, is now going to be a three-part series just for the Eastern Conference. Uh, finish up the, the Central Division. We did Milwaukee yesterday. That was Liam's team. We spent like a half hour uh, on their young players. Uh, but now that's at the early part of yesterday's podcast. But now let's talk about the Chicago Bulls. What are their fundamentals here? So we still have to catch up with them in some degree, 15 and 60 style before we get into their young players. So for the sake of clarity, these for this recording will all be as of Monday morning. So, but it'll come out Monday night. The Chicago Bulls are 24 and 49, one and six since the last 15 and 60, 28th in net rating, 27th in offense, 26th in defense, and 538 projects them to have 27 wins, which would put them 12th in the Eastern Conference. I think the place to start with them is Chris Dunn. Partially the reason to start with Chris Dunn over Zach Levine is just because Chris Dunn has played more. We're still dealing with this post-recovery Levine. He missed a lot of the year. And I think there's kind of a, a split with Chris Dunn because this has unambiguously been a much better season for him than last year. I mean, last year was, was an absolute disaster. And that's where the dichotomy is, is that he's been much better. But I'm not sure that now that we look at it closer to the totality of the season, that I would be super confident that he would be, you know, like a long-term starter or something, though he does look much better than the 2016-17 season. Yeah, the big problem for him last year, incredibly inefficient and also didn't even really attack or do anything. I mean, that was part of the issue was, you know, he couldn't hit shots and he wasn't even really trying to, to do much. Now, that was in tom thibodeau's system there it was his first year and they have a billion other creators on that team certainly not the case with the, this bulls team and at least he's hitting the jump shot a little bit more he's up to 40 percent overall on jumpers 32 percent on threes that's up from 33 percent and 29 percent last year and the usage is way up from last year as well 25 percent versus 14 percent and i think defensively he can be a very very good defensive point guard one of the best in the nba with his effort with his length uh we've seen more athletic plays for him not quite the nuclear athleticism that maybe was hoped for but you know certainly plays that have put him in the top half of the league's point guards in terms of athleticism but i mean overall this guy is 24 now right uh just turned 24 i believe and is still just not there as a starting level offensive player in any shape or form well there are players around the league that can run an offense that don't defend point guards you still pretty much need your point guard to be a capable offensive player either on ball or off ball because there just aren't that many other things for them to do and with Dunn you don't really want to play him off ball even though his jumper has been better this year he's up to 32 percent on threes as you said but I still don't I don't think teams are going to respect him in that way and one big concern that I've had with Dunn is that he doesn't really get to the line that much I mean 17 percent free throw attempt rate for a guy who doesn't you know his usage is way higher this year but I, I worry about that I am happy that he's shooting 73 percent from the line but so you're kind of sitting there going okay well where is his bread and butter offensively and I genuinely don't know at this point defensively he's fabulous I mean he, the way he gets into guys steal rate of 3.3 uh, percent which is strong and better than last year when he was at a straight three and I love his activity on that end but just as a factual matter it's hard for point guards who are limited shooting either in terms of frequency or success to do well and while he has improved he's still not good at that a couple other numbers worth noting for him 
only 53% at the rim. That's not fantastic. And this is a Bulls team that doesn't, for all their warts, doesn't have no spacing, at least when they've got Markin out there, when they've got Bobby Portis out there. Uh, you know, if they're playing like a David Nawaba or a Paul Zipser, things can get pretty tight. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, this is not one of the most spacing challenge teams in the league. Uh, again, these are numbers that certainly can fluctuate from year to year, but Forty-four percent on twos outside the lane. You know that's actually now you can actually run a pick and roll with this guy because that's a good enough percentage that you can't just let him fire away, go under on him every time. You don't care. Like he can make the defense pay to some degree in the half court if you're just going to not guard him uh, off the dribble. You know, is he going to shoot threes off the dribble? You know, that's a a little dicier. Um, But I mean, despite the fact that he's one of these guys who, if you just watch him this year, you know, this is kind of the danger of the eye test. Oh, he looks really good but then those big numbers are the age already and then also just uh, still the the massive inefficiency and, and i don't think that like you know his assist rate is up to be sure he's thrown some solid passes but he's not going to be just wowing you with his ability to, to play make it and find people either so you know i i think that given how good his defense is and, and point guards do mature late despite the fact that it is already late for him uh you know so i think we can anticipate that he's going to continue to get better he's struggled with some injuries as well this season but again a guy that i'm not saying if you're chicago oh we can't draft a point guard because we got this guy you know i mean it's really i think he could be a guy who you might be able to get by with at point guard if you've got some other good players but not a guy that i feel like is destined to be in the top half of the nba's point guards you know maybe he could be a lower end starter that's what it's just when when you look at how inefficient he is at the age that he is it's difficult to conclude otherwise at this point there also isn't as much of a sense of urgency with the Bulls still being pretty far away, but that can change with whoever they draft. If they get, let's say, DeAndre Ayton, and then you have, because he's a dependent talent offensively, I mean, maybe you can throw him in the ball, but at that point, if you have Ayton and Markinen, I think you're going to want a higher-end pick-and-roll point guard because that's going to generate offense for both of those guys and somebody who can find in transition. But for the time being, I'd say if they can upgrade, they should consider it, but if they can't upgrade, they can be okay with it because they're not trying to make the playoffs next year if the Bulls were I would be more adamant about that and I think that's a good tie-in for Zach Levine Levine has been bad this year I think is a fair is a fair way of putting it true shooting percentage at about 50 percent which is not what you want and usage sky high still just below 30 percent and with Levine he's taking bad shots and he's been bad defensively again so the idea of him Levine's athleticism you know slam dunk champion multiple times is certainly there and I I still believe in his capacity to be a capable offensive player, but the idea of him being like a plus starter is really, really distant at this point. The good news is he looks to have the bounce uh and both uh rising up with the jump shot and getting to the rim we we did a very extensive breakdown of him already so we don't have to spend quite as much time on him now i think it was the last 15 and 60 that we did that and and he has played i don't think he's played at all since then with uh minor uh left knee tendonitis but the inability to finish at the rim he's never been that great at it especially when contested but that's something he could get better at especially as he gets stronger feels more confident coming back i mean there there is always the potential for him that and he is he gets so much rise on his jumper and he can make those shots that if he could just get to be passable in some other areas and continues to improve and he's shown the burst in a straight line to create separation and get to the rim 
at times there's always the hope there that he can be something more uh but the results overall especially defensively in the effort categories that have not necessarily been there so would i want to give this guy a 20 million dollar a year contract no no i wouldn't but then again i also didn't want to give victor oladipo a 20 million dollar a year contract but to say that uh oladipo has improved in a way that kp wrote a piece about this last week that's basically unprecedented so to expect levine to take that same type of a jump is probably not realistic you think that maybe you know his role ends up being more of kind of a lou williams type of guy and i think that's where i would be comfortable paying him but of course he was one of the jewels of that jimmy butler trade and the bulls are not really that interested in letting him go so he's another one of these guys is a really fascinating restricted free agency especially with the injury concerns um but but i agree with you danny you know he's not uh, and then also i think the fit between he and chris dunn is not a good one that's been borne out by the numbers as well borne out by uh even some of fred hoiber's comments noting that levine will just wait in the backcourt for the ball and it's like no that's actually chris dunn's job like get down the court run the lanes uh, in transition um i don't think the fit is there because really if you're gonna have levine out there the idea is that he's gonna have the ball in his hands more than not if he really becomes an actualized player i mean he can hit off ball threes but because he's limited in so many other areas including defensively really he's got to be good enough to be the main guy on the perimeter with the ball in his hands and then you really want someone who's probably a better shooter necessarily than dunn although what dunn does defensively is a a decent compliment for uh, levine's holes on that end We've gone through two players and haven't talked about Larry Markkinen, the most recent high draft pick for Chicago. I think Markkinen's had overall a solid year. You could see his his potential. He's at just some basics, age 20 season, 36% on catch and shoot threes. I'd love for that to be a little higher, but you know, for rookies, well, and he's taken some tough ones that kind too. Of stuff. Oh yeah. But those are 46% of his shots and I'm okay with that distribution. I mean, a more versatile offensive game eventually when he gets the ball in his hands more, but for, for a rookie, i'm totally cool with that yeah and the defensive rebounding has been solid for him although we should uh look up what he rebounds with or without lopez on the floor pretty amazing isn't it robin lopez has a defensive rebound rate of only 10 percent, which is you think oh my god that is awful for a center and yet you know bobby portis and larry markinen are both in the 20s i think in part because of uh and nikola miritich was 25 percent back when he was on the bulls so a lot of that i think is due to lopez's solid box outs are you ready for oh, yeah. it? Lowry Markinen with Robin Lopez, 25% defensive rebound rate. Lowry Markinen without Robin Lopez, 20% defensive rebound rate. So 5% difference. That's actually not as large as I, I might have expected. Yeah, I thought it was going to be more. Yeah. I thought it was going to be more like 26 18. Yeah. But uh, for Markinen, you know, she's shown the flashes, shown more athleticism than just your, your pure kind of stretch four guy. He's not really at the point where he can put the ball on the floor for multiple dribbles other than just a straight line drive. Uh, off of a closeout you know i'm not sure that he is he gonna get there as an isolation score that's the real question for me i mean can he be a guy especially on switches you throw it to and even at 15 feet like oh man we're in trouble here we better go double team and also his straight is incredibly low as of now he'll have to get better as a playmaker if he does become uh this good score he's got value certainly with just his versatility his high release his quick release uh even if you switch on him you know just 
throw him the ball off of a closeout he's a seven footer high release difficult if you're a smaller guy to close out on him you know all that is good but can he be more than just a a pick and pop specialist I I have pretty decent confidence that he can get to being a a very good shooter in time and I think you know defensively he's held up slightly better than expected you know not going to be a huge off ball rim protector but a guy who can deny penetration a little bit on switches don't see him being a huge positive defensively but I think within the confines of a system he can be solid and then of course he never turns the ball over because generally he shoots it before he can turn it over uh which is notable on this team that has a lot of pretty high turnover players Markkanen is shooting 33 percent on mid-rangers this year that's actually an interesting mix because it's 30 percent from floater range 37 percent on long twos I would love for that number to be a little higher too kind of like hg threes but I think it's more about proportion than success there unless it truly becomes an asset for Markkanen which I doubt one other thing on Markkanen the post game clearly is not there yet 0.78 points per possession i think where he's had the most success is really trying to duck in get deep position when it's just a straight post up we haven't seen him be as effective also worth noting that he almost never goes to the left shoulder he wants to turn right shoulder for the fadeaway jumper or he wants to face up and then take a quick jumper you know when he generally faces up he's not going to be looking to drive it and, and while he's gotten right a little bit more this year he's still much more comfortable going to his left that's something that he needs to continue to work on and, and also very noteworthy here synergy has a breakdown of his post-up situations if it's just regular man-to-man defense right not a switch 44 points on 71 possessions 0.62 points per possession that's awful when they do switch it and it's a post up really good i mean not not that many possessions only 25 but 1.36 points per possession in that situation so he's been very good off those switches and a lot of those switches are getting deep position uh high low action where he's got the guy pinned uh you know j- just kind of going right to the rim for layups or or duck in type of plays uh but posting up against guys his size or even guys guys who are just small forwards combo forwards he's not been able to be effective yet let's talk a little bit about bobby portis he's had his usage skyrocket this year that's been one of the biggest differences in terms of efficiency he's actually pretty close but going from 19 percent usage to 26 is going to lead to you looking better in a lot of these stats i mean pr is up to 20 20.0 actually this year getting to the line a little bit more making more of his free throws 78 percent this year which is is great and that ties in with one of the important elements of his game right now is that he's sinking a ton of mid-rangers 48 percent, and those are 35 percent of the shots that he takes and for portis my skepticism about him I, I always felt like he could be a solid offensive player the the jump shot has come along maybe better than anticipated the post game still pretty limited to just a, a jump hook uh but he's able to at least go to a drop step uh, over his right shoulder as a counter to that right-handed jump hook over his left shoulder every once in a while but it's still mostly just the hook shot in the post but he's able to be effective with that he's, he's hit a pretty decent percentage on those plays so i'm not worried about it i think he actually is a quality offensive player uh you got to guard him but then just the idea of what the hell he is defensively still remains it and you know if he's a power forward too slow just doesn't have quick enough feet to even guard a lot of power 
forwards and combo forwards not to mention if he gets into pick and roll defense if he has to switch on to somebody he's going to be a liability and then as a help defender just doesn't have the quickness to get into position doesn't have the explosion to challenge shots at the rim and obviously you know some of those issues are exacerbated at center so much as we talked about with john collins yesterday he and portis doesn't quite have as much of a center game offensively where he's really the the role man going to the rim on pick and rolls and he's gonna be more of a pick and pop guy uh he's really you know just stuck in between the four and the five and it's really i think difficult to construct a quality defense around him and that's why i see his future as more of a scoring forward backup type of player you know 15 20 minute a game guy that also makes it very hard to agree to any sort of extension with him he's extension eligible this year being a third year player so maybe you hold on to him see where the mark what the market bears out and then the bulls could end up being big spenders in the 2019 offseason you know if, if if he's a low enough priority and you get good players to take your money then i, I could even see them renouncing his qualifying offer yeah. though i don't expect I, that I, they could just play I, I will take a mea culpa too on on saying that you know they should just release him after the punch incident like he's been good enough that that, oh, he's that, been, was, yeah. that was not a fair thing to say um you want to talk about well, yeah, and it ahead, sa- also it sounds like it sounds like that was less you know the the way that the players took it it wasn't as much a you know uh, it, i think that it it didn't fracture the locker room the way that we feared so let's talk very briefly about some of these other guys i mean there's really six other guys i think the best of of those guys has been david nwaba who is looking at restricted free agency this summer already 25 but defensively really a guy who i I think they missed a lot when they were just so bad early in the season Uh, doesn't quite have the size to check like the biggest forwards uh the biggest small forwards in the nba but can really guard one through three on most nights his intensity level is outstanding really makes guys uh, uncomfortable he is an excellent defensive player and and then i think his offense while he's just a complete non-shooter uh has been impressive in the sense that he actually is able to attack off the dribble on close outs when they throw it to him when he's not being guarded and he can actually do some stuff attacking in transition as well so i think he's definitely to me as an nba player you know it's tough to build around him just with the total lack of shooting but i think especially keeping around and hoping that that can improve again at 25 maybe those chances are lower uh, would be worthwhile uh where should we go next cameron Payne missed almost all of this year due to injury has averaged nine points a game in 16 games after returning actually has almost a 16 per it is fueled by best better far better than his average his precedent in terms of three-point shooting 37 percent 33 percent for the career and 67 percent at, at the rim he's never actually been above 47 percent so like that would be a massive jump and lots of small sample size to see there with pain but he already has his option picked up for next year you kind of keep him around and hope that this can continue for the remainder of this one and moving forward if he's your depth like i i like him a lot more as your third or fourth point guard than your second and that's probably where he'll be with the Bulls. I think that's right. But it, encouraging for him that he's been able to at least find even some modicum of success, even for this short time, because he has looked, and it could have been health related. You know, he didn't look this bad when he was a rookie. There are people who are calling for him to play in Oklahoma City as a rookie. And then he struggled really the last year and a half, uh, almost two years with those foot injuries. And now at least appears to finally be healthy. So maybe he can actually carve out a career for himself. I'm not counting on it. Uh, but good to see some from him. He obviously ability to go right, finish with the right hand, and uh, just hoping that that jump shot continues to go in. You know, he's got kind of a funky delivery, um, and he's shown every once in a while some creativity in terms of finding guys. So uh, not a guy I've probably seen enough of in the last month or so, 
because you know this Bulls team has been pretty unwatchable during that period but someone I, I would like to catch up on a little bit more uh Jerry and Grant who was uh one of the the guys they traded for in the Derrick Rose trade just has not looked very good uh so far this season basically has been totally out of the rotation does not really appear to be in the organization's plans going forward although he is in fact under contract for next season I could see a team a different team taking a flyer on him if Chicago just would rather have campaign as their third point guard if they get somebody else ahead of you know ahead of pain but otherwise you can just keep the three of them yeah. hope that somebody pans out because he'll be on his fourth the fourth year and then restricted free agent like Portis and Grant's stats actually are not that bad individual 14.9 they PR, are 54 percent true shooting is probably above average for point guards slightly uh although below the league mm-hmm. average as a whole point guards generally don't shoot quite as well gets to the foul line at, at a decent rate and uh has uh, some ability to, to pass the ball 31 percent assist percentage so uh, it seems more like part of why he's out of the rotation is just he's also mandingly inconsistent but i think they just decided you know he's 25 let's see what happens we, we got to get a look at pain we got to get a look at dunn uh got to look get a look at ryan archdiakno uh yeah maybe he should play over ryan archdiakno um and then Paul Zipser, a, a guy that I actually thought was decent for them at times last year, who has uh, some size, some athleticism, really seemed to come into camp to me out of shape. You know, looked to be uh, quite corpulent compared to where he had been in past years uh, and really was never able to get going at all this season. He is uh, one of their best tank commanders, 824 minutes, 5.2 PER, 44% true shooting. His career was always predicated on being able to hit the jump shot and then pay, play passable defense at the other end and he's been able to do neither this season 28 percent from mid-range 33 percent from three and when you combine that with 48 percent in the restricted area not great cristiano felicio another just total disaster of a season after signing a four-year 32 million dollar pact as a an arenas restricted free agent that was even based on some of the promise that he'd shown in his first couple years a wildly inflated deal uh, i have no idea who else is going to give him a deal like that i mean if you compare i mean i thought he had shown a little bit more than maybe like an alan williams had shown but if you look at the contract that williams got compared to felicio you know i think that's a very interesting williams got uh three years 18 million second two years totally non-guaranteed and with a team option on the end as well um and felicio i mean he might i haven't checked it recently but at one point i mean he had by far the worst net rating of any player in the nba yeah and i I think to a point those sorts of of elements have are a little bit unfair to felicio i still think there's some talent there i mean you and i both liked him in the abstract and we don't we hated the contract that he got and so i think there is that possibility for him to be to be better in prior years that you know, might as well especially when you have him under contract but i think the biggest kind of question mark with me is can he be consistently impactful on the defensive end and you know this year's defensive rebounding rate has really really dropped his block rate is was low last year after being solid his his rookie year and hasn't improved so you know maybe maybe he can you know put in shots and things like that but a renewed a renewed effort defensively and just not playing with disastrous lineups because the Bulls bench was just so bad for most of this year you know maybe that can help him a little bit yeah I mean his individual stats really haven't dropped off that much you know still 63 percent true shooting has been able to finish around the rim you did mention that the rebounding has not been as good you would hope a little bit better than 8.1 percent offensive rebounds there's always been this promise for him that maybe he could get the jump shot working stretch it out to three Uh, that hasn't been in the car 
yards uh, this year and, and turns it over a fair amount a lot of illegal screens travels that kind of stuff but no it's really been the defense that has been so incredibly disappointing for him as a guy who had shown some mobility to get out in the pick and roll uh, maybe as a rim protector you know i thought i thought he could provide competence backup center play this year and that uh, has not been the case let's uh let's do the cavaliers who won't take nearly uh, as long here 44 and 28 a very solid six and one since we last checked in on them with the just incredible play of lebron james since the all-star break their 0.5 net rating is 17th in the nba one of the things we actually talked about on our patreon subscriber mailbag which we encourage you of course to sign up for our patreon at patreon.com slash duncan is like what would this team look like without lebron potentially last year a, a hawks fan wrote in asking about the potential that their top 10 protected pick that they own from cleveland the next couple of years might actually just not get conveyed uh and so uh they have a much better record obviously 15 games over 500 than their net rating that's all because lebron has been so awesome in the clutch basically uh their offense is fifth in the nba and the defense a putrid 29th they project for 49 wins which would be a tie for third with the sixers and we haven't seen a ton from these Cavaliers young players yet but I wanted to talk about Jenny Osmond first first year of a three-year nine million dollar deal it was the 31st pick back in the 2015 draft but came over for the first time this season what have your impressions been of him I like him he plays with energy and the reason you know so this year he's been effective as a you know as a scorer it's been low usage high efficiency which is something I always enjoy though you run into sample variants there that could be so he's 39% from three 72% at the rim which is phenomenal especially for I mean and he's gotten some dunks this year I mean, he's he gotten a couple he also got darkoed by the rim in that Celtics game embarrassingly but I like the kind of the combination he looks to me like a kind of a glue guy and every team needs players like that I mean and if he can do a little bit more with the ball in his hands can go up from there and yes he spent a couple of years in Europe but he's still younger this is his age 22 season I believe he has technically turned 23 but it's his age 22 season per basketball reference and so that means he's young enough that you can expect to see some improvement and adjustment and and if especially if the three-point shooting is maybe it's not for real at 39 percent, but if it's above like 36 huge value for wherever the Cavs go yeah only 64 attempts to get to that 39 percent from downtown but he is shooting 60 percent on twos which i like his overall true shooting percentage 60 percent, and that's where you need to be as a support player one of the big question marks about him was the jump shot and that has looked pretty decent better than it did internationally but again we'll see how well that holds up over the course of his career it doesn't have a huge three-point attempt rate which is a little bit of a red flag he's only taking 5.5 threes per 100 possessions uh which is not a very high rate when you're a guy who can be spotting up playing with lebron james as he has spent a lot of his minutes with james in the starting lineup he has the advantage on this Cavs team of having a pulse which uh, is something that they have struggled with uh, to some degree and he plays hard you know defensively if you're asking him to guard the best perimeter forward best perimeter to guard on the other team not sure if he's capable of doing that he has gotten stronger which is good uh so I, I think he's if I had to profile uh, what his career will be I don't know that he projects uh, as a starter but I think especially because he plays hard he, he's smart uh I think he 
projects as someone who can at least be a quality rotation type of player i know he's starting now but not going to finish games generally uh, i think he can be a quality rotation player starting i'm not sure that you know uh, i would put him quite at that level yet uh in terms of his future but I, i'm not going to foreclose that that could happen especially if you know he gets a little bit stronger and, and the jump shot proves to be for real there may not be a player on the Cavs whose viability or ceiling as a player on this team is more affected by what LeBron James does than Larry Nance because LeBron can just find him and Nance's effort and gravity as a role guy I think he's very good in that element do you need a guy who can actually make those passes and I think that's part of the reason he has been effective as a member of the Cavaliers this is his age 20 not 20 sorry 25 season I almost said 29 because he played four years at Wyoming and certainly athletic if he I mean Nance is finishing 77% of his shots at the rim this season that's combined Lakers and Cavs that's huge that's even better than he was doing previously as a full-time member of the Lakers but I just have trouble figuring out what Nance's role is on a very good team defensively you know not really a rim protector more of kind of like a switch guy but not amazing at that but again has the benefit of having a pulse knows what he's good at doesn't do much of what he's bad at yeah another guy who can get out in transition as well which this Cavs team can do it and so I think for Nance I agree with you is he's not quite good enough defensively for me to say hey you know what like this guy is a starter this guy is a solid center uh, for us and maybe if he can get a little bit better moving his feet a little bit better protecting the rim but at 25 you know i don't expect that and nance is a guy well i know he's hit the mid-range jumper okay in a way that tristan thompson hasn't you're still pretty happy if you're getting larry nance taking a, a long two against you even if he's hitting him okay um and he is a guy who i think is going to be more dependent on his pure athletic peak than some which he has already really probably passed me so gets up like crazy but you know you Usually that's 23, 24. 25 so I, I wouldn't expect it you know maybe he'll get better at 26 but I, I think he'll probably start to go down a little bit earlier um and that's one of the things I mean when you it's amazing when you draft a guy at 22 this is his third year you know he's already basically especially since he's not like a huge skill guy you think of him as relatively fully formed now I want to see what he's able to do in the playoffs I want to see what he's able to do defensively and, and he's probably the best alley-oop guy uh from a big perspective that LeBron has played with and so how much of that gravity is going to really uh suck in the defense when uh lebron and uh kevin love at the four now we haven't seen much of nance and love together yet either so that's gonna be an interesting combination but defensively nance is another one of these guys despite his leaping abilities a little bit better than maybe like a bobby portis but he still is kind of stuck in between the four and the five defensively unless he can get better as a switch man and this has also been his best defensive rebounding year but still not i mean 21 percent is is fine it's not a standout and it's good enough i think you know if you're it, yeah. i think oh, i yeah. would say that's fair and they've got if and he plays two, with love it won't be a problem if he's if he's got to play right because love's phenomenal yeah. uh yeah, and, uh yeah he he has a lot to prove this year but let's move on to the last guy th- who they acquired in the Kyrie irving trade ante zizic yeah zizic uh, at 21 uh, an advanced stats darling out of uh, the adriatic lead uh, originally drafted 23rd in 2016 by the celtics did not come over until this year and then of course was part of that isaiah thomas trade good to see uh he's still around he and the brooklyn pick the only ones remaining as as 
uh, you alluded to he is shooting 71 percent from the field uh as part of this Cavs team that has just been unbelievable around the rim with the shooting they have and and lebron james but good to see that he's able to finish at that rate taking just about everything at the rim where he's uh 83 on the season but he's been maybe a little bit better than expected from floater range he had this nice running hook the other day in the toronto game that i was uh, impressed by because he didn't really seem to have the skill level when he tried to post up when he tried to do stuff other than right around the rim it didn't look very good and then the offensive rebound rate is the other thing that you can point to with him 13.9 percent that is an elite level and he's actually blocking 6.2 percent of of opponent twos which is another thing that you wouldn't have expected him to do and he has a higher usage than you would expect at 18 percent so certainly and 23 per there's only 180 minutes uh, obviously for him um but he's continued to produce at least in the box score even though a lot of the time he has looked lost particularly defensively both in terms of his communication and then just he's got to play conventional pick and roll defense not a guy who's capable of switching and uh he has struggled with that for sure right i think that's the biggest concern right now is just what does he do defensively and the block rate is certainly intriguing but it's small sample size and all that kind of stuff and when you watch watch him i mean just bringing him out into circumstances is a big problem and it's not like cleveland has a lot of other good scramblers and helpers and all that kind of stuff so it's it's a challenge moving forward i would certainly pencil him in if they depending on what happens with Cleveland like if you want to give him 10 to 15 minutes a game next year assuming you're not playing for super high stakes in the regular season sure by all means you can do that and if he earns more than that can deal with it and, and Cleveland's basically their entire team is in flex at this moment so we don't know exactly who's going to be there but I, I'm fine with Zizic and with his contract because he was drafted in the first round and then didn't you know come over for another year having three more years on really really cheap contracts will give the Cavs or if they theoretically traded him a lot of flexibility that I think is has some value even though the center position has a ton of supply right now he also played 18 games 458 minutes in the G League with the Canton Charge and the numbers were pretty close uh, other than the block rate it is lower than what it had been which it, uh, the G League is maybe even more spacing oriented than a lot of the NBA is um and he's not going to be going up against the traditional center a lot of the time there but uh, most of the numbers he's had have held up actually he's offensive rebounded more and blocked more shots in the NBA but again you know a very limited number of minutes okay we'll take a look at the Indiana Pacers uh, prospects projection but first this from coca-cola and powerade the city of chicago my hometown is absolutely a buzz with the 11th seeded loyola ramblers are they still called the ramblers i don't even know if they're called the loyola ramblers anymore they are they are in the final four you never know what's going to happen with ncaa march madness but you got to be ready for whatever the next round brings and to do so make sure your fridge isn't empty by halftime swing by walmart before every round and stock up on coca-cola coke zero sugar and powerade before the next game tips off coca-cola is the official fan refreshment of the ncaa be ready to watch all the games by picking up coca-cola and powerade or powerade zero was one of my first uh all tourney long ncaa march madness isn't just one game it's a whole tournament make sure you're ready refresh every round by heading to walmart pick up coca-cola coke zero sugar and powerade so yeah i forgot we had the pistons before the pacers we were supposed to do this in alphabetical order but that's okay we can save the pistons for last because uh there'll be so much interest in them obviously uh 43 and 31 for your indiana pacers four and three in their last last seven they have the 11th best net rating in the nba at 1.8 10th ranked offense that has been on the wane to some degrees i think the first time i can recall that they've been out of the top 10 that we've done this but the defense uh, has 
been on the wax uh up to 12th in defense and projected for 46 wins with their difficult schedule remaining so far let's start with uh, miles turner who is really the guy upon whom much of this development for the pacers depends turner certainly a player that i was really high on at, at draft point and offensively i think he's pretty much delivering on that i mean the jump shot has come around to a point i mean the, his comfort shooting mid-rangers specifically long twos i mean so that's about a third of his shots are long twos and he's making 51 percent of them which is completely yeah. ridiculous and, and shooting and the that, same those are almost all pick and pop too i mean we looked at what mm-hmm. it, the percentage of shooting on pick and pop i want to say it was the last 15 and 60 as well so we don't have to spend as much time in it since we just checked in but and yeah the, that jump shot is absolutely lethal even if it is a long two i mean the percentage that he's shooting it won't stay at quite that level but i think you can assume he's going to be in the high 40s going forward here and a little bit below 40 percent from three is also great love to see the frequency go up a little bit there two more significant concerning things for me one is just that he is in he is not a great defensive rebounder he chases too many blocks and the idea of building a reliably strong defense around him which i guess it, now the pacers have expectations again early on it was fitting him with paul george now it's with victor oladipo there are certainly concerns there and that might lead a team in paralleling kind of what they what the nuggets did with Millsap and Jokic to getting more of that guy but you wouldn't want to sabotage their offense and you know offensively i'd love to see him take on a little bit more of a role whether that be attacking on switches or or however they're going to do it because he has been pretty stable between this year and last year and yeah he dealt with a bunch of weird injuries early in the year including a concussion but you'd like to see a player who's in his age 21 season really take a step forward as an overall kind of offensive force he's getting better baby steps though as a post player you know when he went through marcus morris for that play that should have been an and one in the celtics game you know that was a play that uh, evinced some progress from him but overall he hasn't been particularly physical i think one thing that's interesting this isn't a pacers team that's uh, endowed with a ton of passers but on plays where he's actually and, and you know you're they're gonna be getting a lot of switches off of these pick and pops he's only had six plays all year where the defense has fronted him and he's been able to pin the guy get a seal and, and get a lob over the top for a layup um you know again that's part of that is due to the passing but part of that is because he's not as into getting great position and being physical now he is able to just turn and shoot that jump shot and shoot over the top of switches but we would like to see more of that i don't know that the you know turn and face drive to the basket game is necessarily going to be a part of what he does as much but really i think you know offensively he's he's a quality option for sure you'd like to see a little bit more in the post but that's nitpicking it's really deep defensively where as a switch guy he's probably a little bit too slow afoot and we'd like to see more from him in pick and roll defense sliding his feet more verticality rather than just blocking shots as well where is he in the rim protection stats so going along the lines of what i said of him being a block chaser he defends almost close to the most shots at the rim of anybody and you could consider that a good thing overall it just depends on how you're gonna do it but opponents are shooting 59 percent on shots he defends at the rim that's on the high side but not as high as it was i think last year it was in the low 60s of memory serves so i think that's i think that's an improvement it's actually so the other guys that are high in contests are demarcus cousins quint capella he's better than those guys but about two percent uh were better opponent field goal percentage which is not what you want compared to rudy gobert of course gobert is ridiculous yeah i mean you would hope that he could be one of the best in the league you know i mean that's really what much of his promise was built on and you know it seems like 
like he's kind of around average which might be an improvement perhaps uh demontis sabonis well uh, one last thing on turner i mean with considering some of the great centers in the nba you know i don't see turner being able to ascend into a top five type of level uh, unless he really gets to be you know a, a top three top four defensive center in the league which he, i don't think he's quite on that path you know maybe he gets there he's got the tools to get there but still a, a ways to go um I, I forget whether you mentioned this but the defensive rebounding is also a concern for him um the pacers are not a good defensive rebounding team and his contract negotiations another one will be extension eligible 20 million a year maybe you know that seems like kind of the going rate for this type of player uh if it gets much beyond that i think you know you, you got to start to worry a little bit about it as the pacers but uh, they've been burned by free agent departures and so if they have a good player they're going to want to keep him and maybe try and keep him for a five-year contract uh i don't think they're going to offer him the max uh make him a designated player i mean that's that seems like a lot but maybe it's one of those ones where they go into restricted free agency with him and then they offer him the five-year deal to try and keep him around for longer but uh we'll see he he's a guy especially considering the center market that i wouldn't feel terrible about letting him get to restrict free agency yeah especially with the supply stuff that's there with centers but let's move on to sabonis he has fundamentally transformed as a member of the pacers some of that being the shift in offensive system but a lot of it also being the change in role i mean he was the starting power forward next to steven adams last year and now he's backup center sometimes starting center when turner is out on a team with lots of floor spacing so his per has jumped from 6.9 to 17.4 and his true shooting has jumped a full 10 percent from 46.9 to 56.9 which is incredible a big portion of why that has jumped is that he's just taking more shots around the basket not a surprise when you consider that shift in role from went from 28 percent of his shots at the rim to 48 percent and he's making 68 percent which is a solid rate you know could be a little higher but I'm, I'm happy with 68 for for Sabonis and one element that could eventually come back into his game is that partially with the shift he's not taking many threes anymore but he is making 36 percent of them so maybe that is a way to kind of diversify Sabonis's offensive profile moving forward and you can see some of the fundamentals of how to do that with the way that the, Nate McMillan has used Miles Turner what's most impressed me about Sabonis is what he's able to do as an offensive player as a passer just kind of keeping things moving the DHO game constant movement making quick decisions that's what I've liked the most about him and then his finishing at the rim despite I I did see him try to shoot a shot uh over his left shoulder at one point um he and Thad Young both being on the same team although Young even shot like a right-handed scoop shot over his left shoulder the other day in the post which was uh quite the sight to behold uh so it's interesting seeing uh you know those two Zoolanders on the same team but Sabonis still I think suffers from the issue that again that we talked about with some of these other guys like not quite a center not quite a power forward defensively offensively I think he can be a wonderful center with his solid finishing mid-range jump shot maybe that stretches out to three again of those you noted he's not taking as many this year but can Sabonis be a starting center defensively the numbers are not fantastic on that and this is a Pacers team that doesn't have a ton of great defenders around him you know he is a little bit quicker afoot maybe you could switch with him some and if you have some other good defenders who can help behind him at at center and the numbers on him playing at power forward are not that bad they have a plus 4.0 net rating when he plays at power forward so that's not miserable might maybe they can 
try him and Turner together but I think overall if especially if Young were to leave in free agency or they moved on from him saying hey you know what? we're gonna put DeMontis Sabonis as our starting power forward next to Miles Turner and put our resources into other positions I I'm not sure that he's ready for that yet also I think some of the impetus behind that number being as strong as it is is off the top of my head that has overwhelmingly been against backups and those guys are good like if, if you're playing Sabonis and Turner together against backups they should have an advantage and the Pacers have good depth at point guard depending on who's healthy so I could see that being a part of it Sabonis there's this big disparity between in rebounding between when he's power forward and center this is not a surprise 85th percentile the Pacers are when in defensive rebounding when he plays power forward 30th percentile when he plays center similarly opponents take a lot of shots at the rim and make a lot of shots at the rim when Sabonis plays center 66 percent field goal percentage on 36 percent frequency those are both high some of that can be attributed to perimeter defenders depend they've had you know changing changing groups around him but that's totally tolerable for a backup center you know especially with the offensive gifts that Sabonis has but if you if a team whether it's the Pacers or theoretically him being a trade target somewhere else were thinking about expanding his role that would be a major concern let's talk about some of their other younger guys here start with TJ Leaf the good for him he has hit the three ball uh, although that is a, on a very limited sample he's a mere 18 out of 39 from downtime and that's 46 percent, but only 39 attempts is not a ton and he's played 424 minutes on the season and the two-point percentage you would hope would be higher 48 percent. that's not very good and around the rim 61 percent is not great and then you know on long twos he's not really hitting those so it's a little early to dismiss him completely uh, he has not been effective overall playing backup power forward especially when they play he and al jefferson together and those were some disastrous defensive lineups uh, leaf again other than the shooting it's difficult to point to like what he's really done particularly well this season his ucla teammate ek Anabogu has primarily played in the g league this year he has i think it last i saw it was like 28 nba minutes averaging nine points six rebounds and uh, 1.7 blocks per game with fort wayne you know that's encouraging he is super young the issue why Anibogu fell was because of issues with his knees I, I have not followed it closely enough to see how they're feeling about that but you know it, it, he, I think of him more as kind of like a lottery ticket moving forward than anything else Glenn Robinson the third will be an unrestricted free agent this offseason just got back to playing within the last month or so the one note that I had in the some of the minutes that I've seen him in that past month is his off-ball awareness was not fantastic you know he, he was gotten beat back door lost shooters a, a couple of times if he's going to make a career he's got to be really solid avoiding mistakes defensively uh because he really does project as more of a three and d type of player the hope was that maybe he could play some backup four for them uh, as well i don't think we've seen a ton of that look yet and overall he's only at 202 minutes on the season and four out of 14 from downtown so really just way too early a little concerning he's only not even shooting 50 percent on twos you know he's supposed to be an athletic dunker that was a very severe sprained ankle that he came back from but I don't really have much else to say about him other than that at this point it's been a, obviously a very incomplete season for him joe young they've needed backup point guard play from him he's at 520 minutes on the season does hit the three ball okay at 
37 percent but only 60 attempts so far this season and i think one of the real disappointing things about him is that he has not really been able to improve his distribution only 36 assists in his 520 minutes and at his size i mean he really has to be more of a pure type of point guard someone who gets to take advantage of defensively I mean, looking like a guy who's going to be you know if he does get another contract he's going to be you know more of a fringe player and maybe you'd have more hope for him if he weren't already age 25 both young and alex poitras who they brought up this year have you know you could call it i think it's technically a team option for joe young it's a, a non-guarantee for poitras functionally speaking those aren't too different for the pacers i i haven't seen much from him poitras has only played 101 minutes with the big squad this year i was always intrigued by his defensive potential going back to when he was a freshman at kentucky but it was always i mean for him will the shot fall and you know he's only played 101 minutes but the shot really hasn't enough to to feel super comfortable with it you know but again it's a small sample size with him so i what i've seen which is very limited with poitras i wouldn't expect to lock in on bringing him back but i think his guarantee date is in july so maybe you just see where it goes and what what they need but you know i i haven't seen much to be super enthused by him yeah certainly a guy who at least you understand the theory of him he can shoot the ball he's power forward size but it has some decent mobility and athleticism so maybe he can be more of a a switch guy finish well around the rim uh but you know we haven't seen that really at, at the nba level and in the g league he actually you know, has played seven games this year in the g league i'm not sure whether he was injured or what there uh but interesting he only took 22 three-pointers in his 238 minutes he probably it wouldn't shock me if you're actually playing at center a lot in g league but now we've, we've moved into the realm of speculation let's finish up here with the detroit pistons so the Pistons' young core is primarily built around two guys, unless you include Henry Ellenson, which I don't. <laughs> I, I know Pistons fans got super mad at me about six months ago for dismissing Henry Ellenson. Anyway, we'll talk about him in a little bit. I think the place to start is Luke Kennard. He is, this is age 21 season, so it's actually the same as Stanley Johnson. I've liked a lot of what we've seen from Kennard. 43% shooting on catch-and-shoot threes, 29% on pull-ups. I would expect him to be more of a catch-and-shoot guy than a pull-up guy. Moving forward, active defender not necessarily the most skilled but getting there and then i like the way he moves off ball plays with energy plays with intensity and he makes good decisions with the ball in his hands so i don't know yet whether he where he falls on the kind of starter versus backup at the two line especially that he looks like a straight two to me but there's a lot to like yeah if donovan mitchell hadn't been selected right after him i think you'd be saying that he's looked like a, a decent pick and he's actually has jumped lengths and galloway in the rotation hey, you remember when they signed lengths and galloway to a three-year 21 $1 million dollar contract uh i mean i think he's been i haven't checked on in like their last game or so but i think he was dnp in like seven of their last eight games but it's a, the only shame is that they didn't put a player option on the end of that so we could uh but yeah so, and, so and remember that voice. giving him giving him the full mid-level forced them to get hard capped and that pushed all the stuff with kcp though the argument could be that they were already making that plan with it, KCP. it would appear to, to be the case uh and you know i think they look pretty good if they still had kcp on the team um i mean maybe he could have been a difference he definitely has given the lakers better shooting guard play than they've gotten from any of the players that they got this year uh, although obviously bradley struggled with that injury but uh, back to canard the pull-up three would be something that would be really nice to add to his game in continuing to improve the versatility of the jump shot which has got come a really long way from when we saw him at the nike hoop summit a couple of years ago um but still uh, being able to really come off of screens rise up and fire from three and that's really what uh, you'd like to see from him 
the most. It would also be great considering he is a, a solid, a strong free throw shooter. I think he's at like 87% this year. If he could get to the line more, but that hasn't really been a part of Kennard's game. And similarly, less than 13% of his shots have been at the rim. So getting a little bit more, it would probably be skill development. I mean, sure, it'd be great if he could get faster with the ball in his hands, but that can be a little bit of a challenge. So getting there a little bit more and just building that base out, it's never going to be the foundation of it, but he's going to make those shots and he's going to make those free throws. So might as well see if a little bit there could actually produce some really big gains. And another challenge there, depending on if you see him as a starter, is, you know, playing playing him with Drummond and Blake Griffin is probably going to lead to most of those baskets coming on on cuts rather than his own dribbles. And he has a 7.2 net rating on the team uh, on the year. You know, that's uh, that's not bad, right? Uh, and that's not built on like totally just unsustainable three-point shooting uh, by the Pistons or the other team necessarily. So something to watch there. I mean, he definitely, they've played better with him uh, on the floor. Difficult to really say that that's the case for one Stanley Johnson, however, who uh, I, Johnson was so young when he was drafted. He's actually the same age as Kennard. Yeah, I mean, Stanley's shooting, so he's shooting 31% on jump shots this year. And about two thirds of those have been from three, and he's a little bit below thirty percent from there. While Johnson can, I, I there, I have his strength on defense is there. I mean, it's really hard to be a reliable, consistent rotation player on the perimeter if the other team doesn't respect your ability to shoot. Well, not only that, but he still takes thirty three percent of his shots as twos outside the restricted area, and he hits thirty three percent of those. You know, that's really ugly. And then around the rim, admittedly on a spacing challenge, Detroit team he's been below average 59 percent is not that good especially considering that you know a lot of those should be an advantage attacks where you know he's not trying to go through a, a set defense necessarily defensively i think you know he's much better in kind of strength matchups um he does get blown by on occasion we did a maybe two months ago a pretty deep breakdown of him where we talked more about some of the things that he struggled with defensively i mean i think he's can be a solid defender but definitely makes some mistakes and they've just been forced to play him in part because they haven't had any else especially with the departure of tobias harris but i mean all, all of this is moot if the ball just doesn't go in the basket for him it hasn't yet i had hoped that it could but i mean he does have roots as a non-shooter as more of a power player he did shoot well in college from the three-point line 38 percent, but that was uh, on uh, the college line and a low number of attempts so i'm not going to say that he can't get there as a shooter but certainly the lack of progress is very discouraging and it's reached the point now with johnson where again i, I don't think you can count on him being part of the future don't think that there will be significant extension talks especially if as seems likely a new regime comes into the detroit front office that said the league still needs threes and fours just forwards generally in the worst way and so i could see him get it like getting shots especially you know with how how he was at arizona but giving him a lot of money and especially committing to it now just seems foolhardy oh you know i was waiting for you to transition into henry ellinson now yeah ellinson has played 181 minutes as a member of the big squad this year. He has a 6.3 PER. He is taking threes and that is that is a good thing. He is shooting 40% on those threes but not providing a whole lot of other pro- a lot a lot of other value. And I just I've never really seen the the appeal with him. It was more like, "Oh, like he's the next Kevin Love except that Kevin Love was way more skilled and all, and physically dominant as it were than than Ellenson and Marquette and 
defensively, he's kind of a man without a country. Offensively, just does there isn't much there there. So I'm not a fan. I've never been a fan. I continue to not be a fan. Yeah, stuck between positions, the four and five. Defensively, it's hard to see how he does well at either of those. His chief skill has always seemed to be creating like difficult step back long twos that don't really go in that much. And curious that he's only played two games in the G League. I thought they'd want to get him a little bit more experience down there, but an incomplete. But in this case, the fact that he just hasn't been able to get on the court in the slightest uh, is pretty damning. And when you consider, well, and John Lure's been out so much, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, they, they, he's had. I mean, you know, they have Tolliver. You know, they've been trying to win. They've got Blake Griffin. You know, they they got plenty of depth at that position, but. If he had delivered, they could have played it, but he hasn't. And so Eric Moreland and a few other guys. Have right. And, and I mean, it's like they haven't even been, you know, thought about trying him. You know, I mean, everybody else on this roster has really been tried at one point or another, except for him. So it shows you that they really have zero faith in where he's at right now. When you combine that with our pre-draft evaluation of him, little reason to believe that he's going to develop into a contributor anytime soon, if ever. So on that sunny note, I, I think we can call it quits uh, for today. Thanks so much for listening and we will talk to y'all tomorrow come back uh, continue on with this prospect series till then this is one of the best sporting events of the year ncaa march madness got an 11 seed loyola in the final four chicago is going crazy even though they most of them have never heard of loyola even in chicago with so many games you never know what's going to happen that's why you need to be ready for whatever the next round brings be sure your fridge isn't empty at halftime by swinging by walmart prior to every round stock up on coca-cola coke zero sugar powerade powerade zero is my personal favorite for the next one tips off ncaa march madness isn't just one game it's a whole tournament make sure you're ready refresh every every round by heading to walmart to pick up coca-cola coke zero sugar and powerade bp added more than 70 billion dollars to the u.s economy in 2022 investments like acquiring america's largest biogas producer archaea energy and starting up new infrastructure in the gulf of mexico it's and not or See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.